Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Edwina Lowe, Product Specialist within the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eloise Goulder, Head of the wider Data Assets and Alpha Group. Given that this is our team's final podcast of the year, we thought it would be interesting to look back at the year in review with a quick-fire quiz on markets through 2022 and looking at which markets, regions and themes have performed and which haven't, through the year, and where this leaves positioning and sentiment at this stage. And then importantly, I also want to explore the outlook from here as we head into 2023, through the lens of our proprietary datasets and toolkits. So, Eloise, thank you so much for being here once again for our final podcast of 2022. Thanks so much, Edwina. It's great to be here. And I'm looking forward to diving into these questions on 2022. In fact, I've got lots of tables in front of me. So I really hope I'll be able to answer your questions quickly. Great. So without further ado, let's get started. I have 15 questions for you. Before honing in on equities, let's start very high level. What are the major cross-asset moves we've seen this year? I'm glad you've started with this question because so many equity investors say it's been a particularly macro-driven market this year, with macro moves reflecting a hawkish narrative overall around rising inflation expectations and the need for rising rates. So if we take the major cross-asset moves in turn, we've seen US bond yields rise from around 1.5% to 4.2% at their peaks this year, albeit they've come down to around 3.5% at the moment. Then we've seen the dollar, the trade-weighted dollar, rising almost 20% to peaks in September or October this year, which I think is a reflection of the US Fed being ahead of the curve versus many central banks, which started hiking later, albeit the dollar has also fallen around 8% since those peaks. And then we've seen commodity prices rising through the year, in many cases impacted by supply chain disruptions and geopolitical risks across Russia and Ukraine. So we see natural gas up over 70% year to date and crude oil up over 50% in the first six months of this year, although it has since given up most of those gains. And then finally, we see equities down 18% if we look at MSCI World, equities being negatively impacted by rising bond yields as they reflect a higher discount rate, by greater geopolitical uncertainty and a higher risk premium. And of course, most recently, we see equities impacted by concerns over the macro and the growth trajectory. That's really interesting. You mentioned that some of these moves have reversed more recently. Is that true? Yes. So what's interesting is that many of these cross-asset moves, what I think we can call hawkish macro moves in the first half of this year, have somewhat reversed over the second half of this year and in particular over the last few months. So we've seen the trade-weighted dollar give up almost half of its year-to-date gains. We've seen bond yields lose about a quarter of their year-to-date rises. Oil, as I said, is given up 
practically all of its year-to-date gains. And global equities have recovered about a third of their year-to-date losses because they were down as much as 27%, I think, in October. Great, thank you. Let's come back to those recent moves, the unwind of the hawkish macro trade, as you call it, a bit later. But first, looking at 2022 as a whole and honing in on equities, what have been the best performing indices of the year? So starting at a sector and a thematic level, the best performers have been energy and anything energy linked. So energy was the only sector that was up in absolute terms in the MSCI ACQUI index this year, up over 20%. And many of our energy-linked thematic baskets have been up more than 30% this year. Oil services, the best performer, and then exploration and production companies and refiners and integrateds, they're all up over 30% this year. So that would be one theme. And then somewhat linked to this is the value factor, which performed particularly well through the start of 2022 when inflation concerns dominated and bond yields spiked higher. And if we look now at MSCI world value, it's only down around 8% this year. So, of course, outperforming the wider MSCI world index. I think there's quite a complex relationship between value, inflation and bond yields. But put most simply, these are often companies with shorter duration expected cash flows. And so they're less sensitive to the discount rate rising versus companies with longer duration cash flows. And then if we look at a country level, the UK's FTSE 100 and Japan's Nikkei are relative outperformers on the year. The FTSE 100 is actually up on the year as of today, and the Nikkei is only down around 3%. And this outperformance is in part because both of those indices have benefited from weak currencies as export-driven markets, bearing in mind that sterling versus the dollar is down around 8% this year, and the Japanese yen versus the dollar is down around 19% this year. And the UK's FTSE 100 has also benefited from its defensive value tilt and its overweighting commodities. And then finally, if we look at specific baskets, our European defence basket is up around 60% this year, linked, I think, to news flow that European economies, including Germany, may raise defence spending. Great, thank you. And sticking with best performers, what have been the sectors with the greatest earnings upgrades this year? So many of the themes I just mentioned have seen earnings upgrades, including exporter segments in the countries that have seen currency weakness. But most significantly, we've seen significant earnings upgrades across the global energy and commodity producer sectors this year. And if we move to the other end of the spectrum, what have been the worst performing indices on the year? At a sector level, the most obvious underperformer has been the US tech space, which I think we can characterise as the opposite of the value factor, in that many of these tech companies were on high multiples going into this year, factoring in those longer duration expected cash flows. So as inflation concerns rose and bond yields spiked earlier on this year, these companies were the most sensitive to that rising discount rate. So on a year-to-date basis, we see our expensive software basket down around 50%, so it's halved. We see our FANG basket down around 45%, and other longer-duration thematic baskets like cloud cybersecurity down 50%, 3D printing stocks down 40%, and our e-commerce basket down 40% on the year. 
And then in tandem with this and in tandem with weakness in crypto assets, we can see our crypto exposed equity thematic basket down around 70% this year. At a regional level, the worst performing indices have been the US NASDAQ, which is down around 30% on the year, and it has a growth duration and tech bias, of course. But we also see China tech and China as a whole down around 20 to 25% year to date in local currency terms. And we've also seen weakness in Korea and Taiwan, which also have that heavy tech bias. And linked to this, which sectors have seen greatest earning downgrades this year? We've seen greatest earnings downgrades also across the tech space, and perhaps these companies have proved more cyclical than some may have thought moving into this year. So looking at global sectors, we've seen the greatest downgrades across communication services and media and entertainment sectors, downgrades of around 15% this year. Interesting, thank you. I have a slightly more anecdotal question for you now. What have been the most asked questions into our team from investors this year? Wow, there are so many questions if we think back through the year. So earlier on in the year, the two themes which were really dominating were inflation concerns and geopolitics, the war in Ukraine. So the key questions we received back then were, when will US inflation peak? How high do rates need to go? What will the rate tightening cycle mean for US growth? And can the US avoid a hard landing? And then related to the war, how much will energy and gas need to be rationed across Europe? And will Europe's slowdown be that much deeper because of the energy crisis? And then by summer this year, when global equities were down well over 20% on the year, we were getting lots of questions around how low is positioning and how low is sentiment. And if they're low, does that signal it's yet time to step in and buy equities? And also, as crypto markets have weakened, we've had questions around whether the retail investor has now capitulated. And then most recently, we've had a lot of dialogue with investors around several markets in Asia, including India and Japan, both of which have been strong markets this year, and also China. And related to China, the questions have been, will China ease up on its zero COVID policy? And will reopening happen? And will it fuel major economic growth in the region? Great, thank you. It does feel a long time ago now when we were fielding all those questions around when US inflation would peak and the geopolitical situation. So can I ask you to answer a couple of those commonly asked questions you've just raised? Yeah, of course. So positioning now, how low is it, say in the US, and would you say it's now supportive of equities? So regular listeners to this podcast are probably familiar with our positioning intelligence team's tactical positioning monitor. It captures positioning across a range of investor types, including hedge funds via our prime book, the retail investor, ETFs and mutual funds. And if we look at the levels of positioning on this metric, it's light, but it's not that light. So at lows this year, it fell to minus 1.3 standard deviations in mid-June and minus 1.2 standard deviations in late September to mid-October. But over the last two months, it's really risen as we've seen equity markets rally and many investor types buy or cover shorts. So currently, that aggregate tactical positioning monitor is standing at minus 0.6 standard deviations. 
So what does that mean? That suggests that positioning in the context of history is light. Anything below zero suggests it's light, but it's not that light. It's obviously down much less than one standard deviation versus history. So I would say it's not sufficiently light to be reason alone to be buying US markets at this stage. To be more bullish, I'd want to see yet more positives on US fundamentals. Thank you. It sounds like you're talking about our signal from the noise framework. Yeah, this is all reflected in our signal from the noise market timing toolkit, which is still flashing as neutral, not buy for US markets. So as I said, to be more bullish, we'd need to see fundamentals improve. An improvement in macro data like the US ISM manufacturing or an improvement in the micro earnings revisions in the US or yet further weakness in the dollar. Thank you. That's great context. Going back to the commonly asked questions you cited, how low is sentiment now? For the US, it's not that low overall. Social media sentiment is low. It's at the bottom of the range on a one-year view and the 44th percentile on a four-year view. But the more general web search sentiment is actually positive on our toolkit at this stage. So again, as I said for positioning, I don't think light sentiment is a reason alone to be buying equities right now. There are some markets with much weaker sentiment, however, like the UK. Understood. And so back to positioning, has the retail investor yet capitulated? Maybe. So we did see significant selling from the retail investor this year. And in fact, we've seen net selling from retail investors in single stocks for each of the last four months since September. And that's something we haven't seen since 2018. But in terms of other investor types, we haven't necessarily seen signs of capitulation yet. For example, across quant hedge funds and CTAs, we don't see any signs of that. In fact, CTAs, we think, are net long European equities and Japanese equities, for example, right now. Interesting. Thank you. And you mentioned earlier that one of the most commonly asked questions was whether the US can avert a hard landing. What's your view? Well, I think this is one of the most important questions for equity markets and the outlook next year. I think it's possible that the US does avert that hard landing. But the issue is that the US economy is still likely to be slowing for a large chunk of next year. So even if it's not a deep recession, the slowdown is still likely to last quite a long time. Our economists expect a moderate recession only but they don't expect it to start until the fourth quarter of 2023. So that's almost a year away. They're expecting half a percent of GDP decline in the US in that fourth quarter of next year. But Edwina, the bottom line is, I think the path of US output and US employment in the face of these necessary rate hikes is a huge debate among the investing community at this stage. And it is, as I said, one of the most important variables which determine our market outlook for 2023. Understood. Thank you. So can you then articulate the bull case from here? Yes. So I think the key message in the bull case is that the US does avoid a hard landing, that inflation continues to moderate as it has done since summer of this year, and perhaps US inflation falls to as low as 5% by March next year. And this allows the Fed to pause its rate hiking cycle and potentially start the rate cutting talk towards year end next year if inflation really is under control. And as a result of that, equity markets begin to price in the next economic growth cycle. 
And I think on that basis, tech and growth assets as a whole, which have sold off so disproportionately this year, would really outperform. Also, I think the bull thesis would involve progress on the geopolitical front between Russia and Ukraine. And what about the bear case from here? Could you walk us through that? Yes. So I think this centres on inflation failing to fall meaningfully from here. Perhaps inflation is fuelled higher again by China and the associated reopening tailwinds. But that then means that the Fed and other central banks need to keep hiking higher and for longer, which ultimately forces the US economy into a deeper recession. And I think this scenario would be associated with higher volatility and greater uncertainty as a whole, which of course would be bad for equity markets. And now if we could turn to our own team's toolkits, what are they currently telling us? So I mentioned Signal from the Noise earlier. That is our team's flagship market timing toolkit. And as I said, it's currently flashing neutral for US markets. And for it to be more bullish, we'd need to see that bottoming or that improvement in fundamentals. Interesting. So that's on the US specifically then. Are there any other regions which are incrementally more bullish? Yes. So we recently rolled out this framework to other regions, including Europe, Japan and China. And the region which is particularly getting more supportive now is China. It's actually in borderline buy territory on this toolkit. It's benefiting from recent positioning momentum, i.e. recent net buying from a number of investor types in the region, perhaps linked to China reopening hopes. And it's also benefiting from volatility coming down. Also, up until recently, Japan was screening positively on this framework. But Flow's momentum in Japan has weakened recently. And in fact, in our prime book, we've seen some hedge funds shift out of Japan and into China, presumably linked on the one hand to positivity around China reopening, and on the other hand to concerns around global macro weakness spilling over to Japan as an export-led market. Very interesting. Thank you. I am getting towards the end of my list of questions. So... Could you talk us through any important upcoming catalysts that we're waiting for? Yes, sure. So, well, it's worth noting that we're recording this on Monday, the 12th of December. So we have a lot of important catalysts coming up this week. Tomorrow, Tuesday, the 13th of December, we have US CPI. And then on Wednesday, we have the Fed. And on Thursday, we have the ECB and the Bank of England all announcing their rate decisions. Consensus is expecting 50 bip hikes from all of those central banks, which in all cases would represent a slowing in the pace of hikes, which I think is really interesting in itself. In terms of other catalysts we're waiting for, we have further geopolitical news flow around Russia and Ukraine to watch out for. And then finally, a slightly strange answer, Edwina, but I would say it's worth thinking about the unknown unknowns. So when base rates rise like this, are there any negative tail risks or perhaps credit risks that we haven't yet identified? We've seen issues across crypto markets and across UK pensions. But what about something which is more systemic that could happen? I think that's another area where we really need to think deep. That's really interesting that the idea that there are clear macro markers, but also not losing sight of the fact that none of us have a crystal ball. If we could now move away from macro towards our team's toolkits, what have been the most requested data sets of the year? So I'd say most requested has been positioning and crowding data, 
broken down by the main investor types, including the retail investor. Most recently, as markets have rallied over the last two months, we've had particular interest here on the short side, given we've seen a squeeze higher amid this market rally. So we've had questions around what data can we provide clients around heavily shorted names. And then otherwise, in terms of most requested data sets, I'd highlight three areas where we have had a lot of interest. So the first one has been sentiment. How low is sentiment? And because we had that question so much, and it was in response to that question that we really developed our bull bear buzz sentiment analysis earlier this year. And then another area where we've had a lot of questions has been long-run data. So there's been this desire to compare the current market conditions with the 1970s, given that inflation hasn't been this high since then. And hence, our colleagues in the structuring team developed their SIFT dataset, Strategic Index Fundamental Toolkit, which has data back to the 1970s and allows you to assess the performance of energy and the value factor, for example, now versus back then. And then finally, I'd say we've had a huge amount of interest around China and various Asian markets this year. And it was in response to this that we rolled out our Signal from the Noise market timing toolkit to China's CSI 300 and Japan's Nikkei index. Great, thank you. And turning to next year, what would you say is the most exciting workflow on our plate for next year? So as I just mentioned, I'm really excited about continuing to expand our footprint in Asia. We've started to do that with our Signal from the Noise framework, but there's a significant opportunity, I think, to do more in this region. Secondly, I'd mention our workflow around behavioural biases. It's so easy to be biased. We all are, whether we're deep in the weeds of the investment process or not. So we're really trying to use our data sets to help overcome some of these biases. And I think our sentiment data set goes some way towards that because we're quantifying or measuring sentiment rather than just relying on our instinct around sentiment. But we do want to do more work on overcoming biases through data. But as I mentioned earlier, we are striving to be client-led. So I'm really looking forward to engaging with even more investors as we discuss and we analyse market views through data sets and through data toolkits. Great. Thank you, Eloise. I think that's probably a good point to wrap up on. Thank you very much for taking the time to consider the year with me. It's certainly been a memorable one. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Edwina. And I also want to say thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate your engagement since we launched our podcast series back in June. We're always keen to hear from you on markets, positioning views, data sets, and the content you particularly like or have feedback on from our team. As this is the final Data Assets and Alpha Group podcast of the year, we'd like to take this opportunity to wish our listeners a fantastic holiday season. We will be resuming our podcast series in the second week of January. As a reminder, if you'd like to explore our wider team content further, or indeed get in touch with us, please take a look at our website, jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we will close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.
The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.